Hi, I'm Brooke Small. And I am Jesse Steffes. And this is the Heart of Life podcast sponsored by Riverbend Counseling. Welcome back. Yeah, we're excited to be back here today. Last episode, we talked a lot about my story and why I am here, what's important to me. And today we're going to be talking with Jesse. So Jesse, tell us a little bit about why why you are here, what mm-hmm. your specialty is, and, and really your heart for this work. Yeah. My, my specialties are grief and body reclamation. And those are two that don't really feel like things I learned a lot about, but things that I, that magnetized me. And then I learned about, um, my grief specialty came because of the professional work that I did first. And I actually had some feelings of kind of imposter when I was first working with grief because I had not experienced big griefs when I was first developing that specialty. Um, When I was in field work in my graduate program, I had a client who had lost her dad and she dreamed about it. She dreamt about it before it happened. And that was a sticking point. She thought she had caused it, right? And so we asked questions like, well, did you ever have dreams that didn't come true and things like that? Mm -hmm. But what stuck out to me was one particular session where she wanted me to hear her dad's voice in some recordings. And she played them for me in session and I wept with her. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I figured out that grief was for me the cleanest human experience we can have. Mm -hmm. And it's the cleanest experience that can come into my office. And and by clean, I mean, you know, when we're struggling with things, usually especially like relational stuff, we can find our own, our own doing in that. Mm-hmm. But grief feels, um, I could talk about grief forever, but the way that I personify grief is as a big blue dog. It's this big cumbersome beast that enters our life that needs food and to be held and to be bathed and to be cared for and to be given a home. And it doesn't realize how big and heavy and strong its claws are, um, how it unintentionally hurts us. And it was in that work that I thought I want to forever be a person who teaches the, the grievers how to train their dog, Mm. which is kind of weird because my very first job was as a dog trainer, (laughs) a real dog trainer. Um, but there's something about caring for caring for grief instead of battling grief that I want to bring to the people who enter into my space. Yeah, I love that. And one of the things that I talk to my clients about when we're talking about grief is that grief doesn't just point us toward what we've lost. It underlines what's most important. <sighs> yeah. And so the work that you do in that that space where... There isn't a person on the planet who will be able to avoid grief. Mm -hmm. Grief is a part of the human experience that we're Mm -hmm. all going to have. So the fact that you can sit with them and help them move through, not get over, but move through and with grief in a way that allows them to attend to it Mm -hmm. and learn from it rather than run from it is one of the healthiest experiences we can have as humans. Yeah. And, And practically in that work, what that looks like for me is, you know, I... 
I don't hold your feet to fire per se, but we swim together in really deep water and we cope because you also maybe have to parent at the same time or show up for certain things. And so it's this really beautiful balance of practical coping, but also taking deep dives together in session uh, into the grief, right? And finding what's in the bottom. And I find with that type of oscillation, we come out on the other side a different person, a more whole person after having moved through the grief and, um, and adapted to the loss. And so that's my heart work around grief is how can this thing that we would still always want to trade to have whatever the thing is that we lost back, especially if we're talking about the death of a person, maybe we'd always still rather have them. But in lieu of that, what can we see as the gift that grief is leaving behind Mm -hmm. for us? And that underlined message. Yeah. What do I take from that underlined message of what's most important and how do I build and create this life on the other side of loss right. with that information? Exactly. And and my work in, in body reclamation and what I've come to call body liberation incorporates a lot of grief too. And my work with both body stuff comes from my lived experience of being a woman in a larger body. And... I've been in a larger body since I was born. I walked really early because my legs were strong and ready. You know, it's a running joke in my family. My mom would take me out of the car seat and stand me on the ground, grab the bag and turn around. And I was like (laughs) feet away. (laughs) And, you know, my body's always been powerful, but I've not always felt its power, but I've always felt its bigness. Mm. And so that was a work of reclamation for me of you know, moving through the world and like kids are mean to each other because, because it happens. But I experienced a lot of feedback about my bigness, whether that was spoken or not spoken and about my body, weight, shape, size. Um, and I attributed a lot of my experience in my life to being the result or the fault of my body. Um, whether that was like, um, missed opportunities or, you know, unmet, desires Mm -hmm. like well that must be because because that's what my whole world told me was that um things like love and relationship and stuff were reserved for bodies that looked a certain way and they were not the way that my body looked you didn't earn it or didn't deserve it exactly and so that that work extended into you know I saw a really fantastic therapist actually around my body stuff um and I'm glad to to have her still in my life today but we really untangled some of that work. And then it was through this repeated experience I'd have of young women coming into my office and body stuff kept coming up and chronic dieting kept coming up. And this idea of like, this would be different in my life if my body were different. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and it's crazy because as I started to heal in that space in my life, my client work started to improve (laughs) because I was seeing it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's a huge passion area of mine and and areas I've reclaimed of my body belongs in in anywhere I want to put it. And so I'm allowed to go to the gym. I can take up space there. I can hike trails. I can, you know, feed my body in intuitive and nourishing ways. And my body size, you know, like kind of spoiler alert, but it turns out that that was, my body's never been the problem. Right. Right. And I, and that idea that 
we don't have to wait for us to look a certain way or to be perceived by other people. Going back to our first episode, talking about that self-objectification. Yeah. We don't have to wait for other people to perceive us a certain way in order for us to live our life and move through that. Exactly. One of the things that I have learned from you and has been really healing for, for me as I've watched you move through this work is that idea that our body is our friend Mm -hmm. that she's always been on our team and I did a lot of work prior to meeting you but it is through the last several years as we have really talked about this and I've watched you do the work that I have a different sense and feeling for my body and I know that that has been something I have been able to give Mm -hmm. to my girls Mm -hmm as well so that they don't move through the world like you and I did thinking that it's how other people perceive us that will make us worthy of having the life we want. Yeah. Yeah. And that we have to battle our bodies ending the war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I talk a lot about, um, body as home instead of body as body. And I also think about our moms are usually our first home, but even before that, our body is in a home. <laughs> And so I, I think the idea of coming back home is, is the work that, I don't know, that I've done, that we walk through. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you and I have both done that work and hope that that's part of what this podcast will be for people is an opportunity to come home. Yeah. Because it's when trauma removes us from our home, yeah. it strips us of our own intuition. We learn to distrust that. Mm-hmm. And so it's coming home to ourselves and our intuition and through your work, through grief and body reclamation, it's learning from the grief that's stored in our body about what's important and coming home to our body as home Yeah, and learning to trust them, Yeah, our body as a space of wisdom and intuition and safety mm-hmm. and security and love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the idea too of allowing allowing our experiences to mean something different than how we originally stored it. Mm-hmm. That, that I think is, is something that we're perpetually doing. But I think as we, we listen to the stories that maybe will be submitted to us, I think that's one thing that we're going to be offering too, is how can you see this differently or what's a meaning that we can, not in a way to silver lining it like you and I've talked about, but in a way of saying, is there an alternate way that you might want to allow this to be part of your story? Yeah. And I think part of that, what I'm hearing you say is being able to understand the rules that other people handed us Mm -hmm. and how we begin to challenge those rules. Because it's in challenging the rules that we begin to change the narrative. Exactly. So I'm wondering, as a question to you, how, how did the rules that were handed to you, how did they impact you and how did you learn to see them and challenge them? Yeah. You know, I was... Growing up in my family, my siblings struggled, and I'm the youngest in my family, and um, there's distance between us in age, and so I had a very different experience than the two siblings of mine came before me had, and I had an, an experience of more practiced parents, I would say, for lack of better words, mm-hmm. more resources, more access, um, but in that, there was not a lot of space or room for my struggle. 
um, which wasn't a cognizant uh, thought at the time, but it was a big feeling and it was a rule that I don't think anybody in my world intentionally set. Right. It was the powerful unspoken rule that you need to be okay. Yes. You need to be okay. If not great, if not thriving, if not very successful. Mm -hmm. And it felt really good to get feedback when I aligned with that rule, but it cut off an entire half of my humanity because the only part of me that could really show up was the part that was successful. And that was, um, that was meeting those expectations and that didn't need much. Um, and my, another rule that I learned, I think was that I needed to create delight. And what was difficult is that is an inherent part of my nature. Mm -hmm. I am delightful. I'm delightful. You are delightful. (laughs) (laughs) I am delightful. I delight in things. I find things funny. I'm, I, you know, I hold on to playfulness, but it also kind of wrapped me from my ability to feel deeply and Mm -hmm. to experience suffering and difficult things. And so that was some of the rules that I moved through in the world, but they've been painful to Mm -hmm. move through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, I forgot your original question because I started talking. Well, so, so the question is, and, and you answered the first part of it, is what were the rules that were handed to you? And we often have spoken and unspoken rules, but you're talking about the really powerful unspoken rules yeah. that we don't even know to challenge. So when did those rules become clear to you? When did you yeah. become aware of them? And then how did you learn to challenge those? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about, um, they became clear to me when I started to move towards becoming a therapist and it was in going to school and having to do, um, practice skills labs that I started to think like, okay, I'm going to talk about the grief of my friend moving to another country in this, in this skills lab. And then it was someone in that lab that embodied a family member for me and really activated some responses in like a conflict that I was like, um, I want to leave this room right now. And it was, it was a, it was a professor of mine who said, what's, what's going on for you? And I was like, I don't know. What I didn't realize was happening was that I was re-experiencing family dynamics in a space where none of my family members were. (laughs) And I was like, this feels crazy making. And through that reflection, I was able to see, okay, these rules that I've lived with and like these relationships or, you know, when I try to try to take up some space, like things feel uncomfortable all of a sudden that I started to have to think to myself, like, what's, what's going on and how, how have I been impacted and how much of that am I willing to continue to live in? Mm -hmm. Um, and that really came from this increase in self-awareness in therapy also, but especially in grad school where some of those like tendencies were uncovered. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse, can you tell me a little bit about how your personal story, your movement through identifying those rules, becoming more aware of them, challenging them, shows up in the space that you hold for the clients that come into your office? Yeah. When I think about my story, you know, I, <clears throat> I work from a narrative perspective, and so stories are a big part of my work. And when I think of my own story, I think about 
endurance and uh, I don't know the right word for this, but like a sticking in because there's, there's been times in my life where I was really waiting for something to come to fruition. And so specifically I met my now partner 10 ish years ago. And when I met my partner, it was clear that something was going to come from that. And it was clear to me on a spiritual level, but I didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't know how, how much endurance I was going to need in that story. And so part of my experience in, you know, differentiating myself was that relationship of, I meet this person and it's very clear something's going to happen. But then there was this like, I mean, I'm kind of speaking around it. I'm just going to like talk about it, but we met in our, the beginning of our relationship was so slow and so, um, uncertain that I was like, is this for me? And I kept thinking like, do I need to leave? Do I need to be around for this? Do I want to endure? And there was so much that kept saying to me, like, there's something here for you in this. And I believed that. And so I held on to that with endurance. And it was a big, in 2015, um, all of it crashed all at once. My career had a huge fracture. My relationship ended. Um, My whole identity was like, who have I even been? Because I had been skating on the surface of authenticity and belonging. I had been skating on the surface of making sure that I was harmonious. I was skating on the surface of, I will be just attached enough, just loving enough to not scare him away. Mm-hmm. I will be the right amount of things to fit here, but not need too much, which, you know, back to chapter one, right? right. Don't need right. too much. Um, and so it was in 2015 that I experienced a former client of mine ended their life. Um, which made me think like, what am I even doing in this field? And I, what I'm, I know better now, but at that time it was like, you don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have been able to figure this out. And the day that that happened, the day that I found out that that happened, I left and I went home and my boss at the time was like, what do you need? Like, let's go for a walk. And I was like, no, I don't want any of that. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. I wanted to go home and be by myself. And I was with my partner at that time, but I didn't reach out to him for support. There was something that I knew I wasn't going to be able to get because I had just become too much Mm. in that experience. Mm. You were no longer, you were under the surface. You weren't skating on the surface of it. That's right. And I couldn't be, I couldn't be small enough. I couldn't be cool enough. Um, casual enough the rules (laughs) that's right so I I shut it out but I did call my mom and she's like I'm gonna come over right now I was like no I want to be by myself but it was one of my really close friends um Mandy I don't know I don't know to this day exactly why I called her but I knew I needed to I called her and she came and she sat on the couch with me she didn't say anything that whole time she sat with me um that was a huge risk for me to let someone come close when that, that is the, that is the worst I've ever felt about myself was in that moment because it's not a frequent occurrence for me to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
and clinically I made no mistakes. That's not part of the picture. You know, I hadn't seen this client for a long time, but I felt like I'd done something wrong and to let someone be around me when I felt like I'd done something wrong was really, really hard. Yeah, because that wasn't your experience of how you stayed close and attached and secure. Yeah, well, closeness and attachment meant my my goodness and my easiness. Mm-hmm. If I was easy and delightful, right, mm-hmm. not broken and grieving. Um, and it was it was only a couple weeks after that experience that my partner and I broke up, and the timing couldn't have been worse. But it also, there is a gratitude I express for that. I Not to him, but there's a gratitude. <laughs> We're back together. Uh, there's a gratitude I have for that because I almost feel like I got to buy my grief in bulk in some ways mm. instead of like snacking on it for, for a long time. Yeah, where it can't be ignored. It was like what we talked about in our first episode with me yeah. coming to a place where the way that you were in the world just did not work and couldn't work. Yeah. And when that happens in bulk, whether it's um, trauma and grief, I would say are very closely tied together, but twinsies, right. But when those things happen to us, we are thrown into a position where what we used to cope, the way we learned to be safe enough and secure enough and loved enough doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And so we have, we have no choice but to step into the void. Right. Well, in the inescapableness of it, like you're talking about, there was no domain in my life at that point where I felt like I could go feel really cool and con- like confident. Mm-hmm. And so the the inescapableness of that really forced me to figure out how I was going to heal. And I remember sitting in my one bedroom um, apartment, but where I had just moved by myself a couple years before that. And I was sitting on the couch and in that time I was waiting for it to be like dark enough outside to go to sleep. Like I was so, it was taking all my energy to go to work and to do and to show up for clients that by about 7 PM, I would be like, okay, it's late enough to be able to go to sleep. And I was sitting waiting for 7 PM to come. And I thought to myself, I have a choice in this moment of if I'm going to let this take me out or not. Mm. Like, am I going to let this take everything from me? Or will I, will I come back? Mm-hmm. And it was a very like mindful choice I made in that moment of like, I can't guarantee anything, but I can decide I will not wither completely. I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up and I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And it was through a series of like really effing hard days moving through like, okay, what is this going to mean? How do I grieve all this different kinds of grief at the same time? How do I... How do I recover from what I, what I was provided? The language is called a crisis of confidence, mm-hmm. right? Our knees are knocked out from us. How do I find my footing again? How do I move through? And it was in the following year that happened after that, like through that year that I moved through, that I figured out that I needed to move in my life as someone who was independent and empowered and who was going to be who she was going to be, mm-hmm. regardless of who was going to be around for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And that took a lot of conversations around boundaries. But in that year, um, this, of course, is going to come up in this episode now. I found my dog, Jeffrey, (laughs) (laughs) who brought me back to life. Yeah. Because I had to care for somebody else. Yeah. Um, 
So I got Jeffrey and I bought my own home and I decided that I was going to move on having thought that my partner and I were going to be together, that that reality had not come to fruition. And so I grieved that. And it was only after I let go of that idea in a really true way and kind of let that go up into the ether mm-hmm. um, that I was able to kind of feel whole again and it was a new kind of whole. Yeah, not a whole attached to someone else's expectations or perception of you or fitting right. in or following the rules, but a whole of coming home. Exactly. Right? I'm home in myself, in my yeah. own intuition, my own wisdom. I, I love we talked in the last episode about that idea of the messy middle Mm. and I know where you are now, Mm -hmm. right? Just like, you know, where I am now, but as you're telling this story, I'm imagining the grieving you and that, that feeling of being lost, of not knowing, um, what home is. I often, I talk to my clients because I know it personally the sense of feeling homesick, but not really knowing what we're missing and how often that means that we have wandered far from ourselves. And when we can come home, Mm -hmm. which for you, it was finding Jeffrey and getting your own home and understanding that even if life wasn't going the way you imagined it would, you could still live. Yeah. You could still create and build a life that was meaningful uh, and how how that's that messy middle. That's what happens in that healing space where we're walking home. It's not getting home. It's the walking home where the right. healing happens. And I'm reminded too in, in that you saying every morning I woke up and I had to figure out how to manage and deal with these different kinds of grief that were happening in my life. And I'm reminded of that idea that healing doesn't, we don't just wake up one morning and we're healed. Healing is a series of intentions and decisions that we make every day as we're in that messy middle part. Yeah. And I know that you bring that to your clients in therapy space and that that genuine desire to help them make those choices and understand what choices are best for them in their own experience and their own in their own wisdom mm-hmm. coming home and being able to make those but I hope as we as we move through and with this that people will feel that here as yeah. well. That yeah. they will they will hear that we are walking with them through that space and and that we can do that because we've been there and because we are there. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Not everything is perfect in my world. Well in our I think one of the things that like I, I wouldn't trade those experiences actually for anything because of who I am as a result. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would trade one of them so that someone could still be here. Right. But I wouldn't trade what I learned and who I became. Right. And I think that's something that I really appreciate about you and I is that we embrace, <laughs> we don't embrace pain. Maybe we embrace pain. We embrace this difficult because we know what the outcome is after. Right. And, and I feel similarly as hard as those, I mean, really 20 years of my life were. Right. As hard as they were, as much pain as I went through, confusion, identity, all of that. That, that story has created who I am today. And I really like who I am today. Mm-hmm. And, and it a 
allows me to sit in spaces in the messy middle uh, with people that I genuinely care about. Yeah. And I find it, uh, like I said, I, I feel extremely grateful to be in that space. And I know that you feel similarly. I do. Thank you for sharing your story today. Thanks for hearing it. I am so excited about this. I'm so excited to hear from the community that we're creating here and to be able to allow not just you and I to walk everybody right. home, but this community to become uh, a walking community. Oh, I love that. Like the walking groups. <laughs> yes. A walking community. We're all, yeah. we're all just walking each other home. Mm. So if you would like to be a part of this podcast, if you'd like us to share your story, um, you can reach out to us at riverbendcolorado.com. Click on the podcast tab and there's a submission form there. Everything is anonymous and we will do our best to remove any identifying information but we are honored if you will let us be a part of this with you. And if you need to know more before you submit, you can ask there too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. See you soon.